That's how it starts. The fever, the rage, the feeling of powerlessness that turns good men cruel. Welcome, I'm Andrew Dice. And I'm Stephen Colbert. And this is Batman v Superman by the Minute, a podcast rewatching, dissecting, unlocking the secrets of Zack Snyder's Batman v Superman, obviously the ultimate edition, one minute at a time. We have reached minute 96 in the film. For anyone wondering where this takes place, the bombing has happened and we have ended 95 with the ominous newscaster saying that they have identified the bomber of the Capitol building and we're left in suspense. We arrive at minute 96 and I guess in addition to finding out the identity of the bomber, we also get a scene between Superman and Lois about Hope and their fathers. So uh, I guess we can get into that if you'd like, Stephen. Yeah. Minute 96. I didn't see it, Lowe. Standing right there and I didn't see it. Clark, there are people behind this. I'm afraid I didn't see it because I wasn't looking. I want to start off by saying, because you brought it up, now I am staring at the Washington Monument in the background of this entire scene. Thankfully, as listeners of the podcast know, you are deep on that, their architecture. It's, uh, it's interesting because I actually didn't find as much about this, but it's one of those things where you see the framing of the shot has Superman with the Washington Monument in the background. And I guess it'd, it'd be apt to say this means something. Well, it's like a, a giant white obelisk in the frame that later like kind of almost it runs almost the entire length of the frame top to bottom right but it's it's interesting because the movie doesn't doesn't overtly deal with the political figures or realistic political figures at least it has you know june finch and and the government but it doesn't it doesn't play with these figures but we have statues of andrew jackson we had recently and back with lois and harry lennox we there was a lot of stuff that was really interesting about the North-South divide and the Civil War and good men who do bad things and bad men who do good things and how do you reconcile all of this? And I don't want to say the the analog between Superman and George Washington isn't clear because I guess there are you know the the first president and the first superhero and they both are kind of these towering figures who inspired others and but that's all very kind of surfacey that feels. Like, there's not really much meaning there. There's just kind of like, oh, yeah, George Washington's a big deal. But what's what's really interesting about this monument, well, first of all, Washington, the, the construction of the monument was like a multi-part process of they started trying to build it when the Federalists, Washington's party, were in were in power still. And so they were all really fans of him. But then during, like, before construction was completed, Jeffersonian Republicans took over and they they... Washington was not a hero to them. And so they weren't really super interested in building a monument to their political rival. And so construction kind of stalled out and then it started up again or they like finished off after the Civil War because it was a Washington was a figure that both the North and the South could kind of look to as a unified like it was right. a hero to both of them. That in of in and of itself is really fascinating. But what I also found was interesting I, I really highly doubt that this is part of the text that Snyder and Terrio intended to infuse into this. But from all the research that I did into the other Washington architecture and monuments, and then doing research into this one, it's fascinating how often 
governments come together, or men, Bruce Wayne, Rex. come together to build a monument to the greatness of man, or specifically the greatness of a man. Clark Kent, Daily Planet. Especially with an obelisk, which was, the Egyptians used that to honor kings and gods. So it's sort of this ancient, like, the greatest, the greatest people get this, this obelisk. Every monument that I've read about, almost all of them, the development of it is sort of fraught with all this kind of political fighting. And the actual resolution of the monument rarely doesn't have a lot to do with the actual figure that inspired it. And it's it's more often it's it's symbolic or or something else. They, there's you know some slush fund in the budget that they find to complete it, or or they you know it's used as a North South unification event after the Civil War, not as a tribute to Washington after his presidency. It says more about the people who built it than the person it was built for. Yeah, and so so this is the Kryptonite spear, <laughs> right? Well, and in a movie that, like I said, I, I it's hard to believe that something that that not that deep, but like that kind of a scraping the bottom of the barrel pole from something like this was intended by, by Snyder and Terrio. Maybe it is. I mean, I, I guess I can't put it past them, but it is fascinating to have these figures, big monuments uh, around Washington in a movie that is about this struggle with the greatness of these figures. There's Superman who doesn't, he doesn't know who he is. And that's what this minute is even about. And you have, you have Batman who you know doesn't know who he is, and the world doesn't know how to treat Superman. Is he's that some devil or Jesus figure? Maybe he's just a man trying to do the right thing. It's just really interesting, kind of seeing the way the world grapples with these things. They don't know how to honor these people, and they just kind of try to build these giant monuments. But then at the end of the day, the monuments aren't even about the people they're built for. I don't. Know, just kind of a fascinating underlying, a little background image to the the most powerful man in the world struggling with his own identity. I would invite every listener to go back and listen to Stephen's entire description of that, knowing that in my head, I was being increasingly convinced that somehow this actually was meant to be a parallel to the Kryptonite Spear. <laughs> <laughs> Design started by Lex, completed by Bruce, two men who hated each other, but who could both agree that because of their feelings for Superman, this thing needed to get made. I, I, I would also be inclined to say... That seems, on the surface, that seems like it would be an odd connection. However, as we've said before, Superman is on is on screen here, and this is a giant pointed object looming behind him that we are literally going to see constructed in like two minutes of the movie. So as as odd as that seems for that to be intentional, as we've said for so many other things in this movie, we know thanks to like Snyder and Larry Fong, that there is intentionality to this stuff. And having a scene with the Washington Monument illuminated behind him, here's the problem we arrive at, Stephen, right? Either this is meant to signify some or all of that, or the placement of the Washington Monument behind him is for literally no reason at all. Yeah, and there's no reason, that, there's no way it's for no reason at all, because I don't even think they shot in, in DC, right? If I'm, if I'm correct, anything in dc or maybe like second unit or something but they it wouldn't they, be this they yeah, did not shoot be, this. let's fi find me a hotel room that can see the washington monument like this yeah no this is this is a blue screen and they put that behind like in the same thing with on the the potomac banks the even the perspective that they had made these monuments looming but they didn't actually shoot it there they shot it in 
Pittsburgh or something like that. Yeah. Or in Detroit. I mean, I'll leave I'll leave Stephen to go back and also listen to his description of this, uh, where I guess Lex would be the Federalists, and then Bruce would be the Republicans. Anyway, maybe I was going to say though the one, the one slightly maybe more clear connection if you want to draw between like Washington and and Superman is that he was the first time in like record. I don't know. This seems hyperbolic when I say it, but it's. In like recorded human history, it's one of the first times that there was a peaceful transfer of peaceful. power. Yeah, he didn't want it. He didn't want to be king. Yeah, he exactly. He could have just claimed it for himself, and he would have had the support necessary to rally people behind him. And he decided not to. Not even necessarily because it was the best, like immediate decision, but because the the future of what he fought for depended right. on him not instituting himself as a dictator. Also, it was built with slave labor and Washington owned slaves. And so there's also, <laughs> so you get, so then you get to that once again, we're dealing with, you know, powers is inherently corrupting. And he, he ordered the sla- slaves freed in when he died, but, you know, he didn't do it and he was alive. But it's a, you know, no one stays good in this world. I don't know. There, it's a lot <laughs> yeah. of complicated themes going on. Listeners uh, of the podcast, there's our fan art request Nightmare George Washington. And you can't just use that. Assassin's Creed DLC. <laughs> I think that's very cool. Obviously, we have to move on to the. I think the dialogue of this scene is is what really stands out here. I will lead with this, if you don't mind, Stephen, because this is. I love this dialogue. I love the ideas and the the emotion, um, conflicted feelings that are communicated by Superman. But I also think that this is an exchange that is. It may not be the most important in the movie, but I feel like it is one of the most often misunderstood or like misquoted or just unemphasized. These words are going to stand out for people who remember, obviously, how we spoke about Clark's uh, in the bathroom with Lois, wanting to see and needing to see things. He says to her, uh, you know, she tries to say that people are behind this. She's already doing her own investigation and finding this stuff. And ironically, Clark cannot see that or in this case, hear it because he came here to express himself to her. And what he says is, I didn't see it. I was standing right there and I didn't see it. I'm afraid I didn't see it because I wasn't looking. Or almost as if they have listened to the podcast. Lois is saying, oh, this is that stuff we talked about, about seeing. Yeah. (laughs) About how you need to see things and you took your glasses off in the tub. But he continues, I've been living my life the way my father saw it, righting wrongs for a ghost, thinking I'm here to do good. Superman was never real. He was just the dream of a farmer from Kansas. The reason why I think that this often gets misrepresented or just like misstudied is that, believe it or not, Jonathan Kent believed more than one thing. Go figure the, a reference to the most misunderstood line in Man of Steel is also going to right. be one of the misunder- most misunderstood moments in BVS. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think this can also apply to, to both fathers because the one thing that Jorel and Jonathan both agreed on is that Clark was going to be something different, something big, an example. He had a purpose. So that line in this can apply to both. But the way I read this, and the way that I see it not read or not talked about, is that I'm remembering back to, of course, Jonathan said, maybe 
you you were not going to save anyone. <laughs> the thing that, that doesn't get talked about, and I, I went back and rewatched the scene to, to refresh my memory on the exact lines, is that Jonathan keeps talking. You saw how Pete's mom reacted. She was scared. She was afraid that people are afraid of what they don't understand. On top of that, as Clark later explains to Lois, that Jonathan believed the world was not ready when he was a kid and when he was younger. Person you're going to become is going to change the world. But when he showed him that spacecraft immediately after that scene, he said that you were sent here and I have to believe you were sent for a reason. That there is a purpose for you being here and that these things that are making you different and you, the things that you are seeing as a curse and we saw that all through Clark's young adult life. The things that are taking a life from you and preventing you from having a life are someday going to be held by you as a gift. And you are either going to stand proud in front of the world or not. That is going to be the call to be what you were meant to be. And you are going to stand proud in front of the entire world. So that is all of the stuff that is backfilling now. What Clark going and answering the call and standing there and saying, I'm not pure, I'm not flawless, but I am standing here because I'm me. I am Superman in the suit. I am apart from you, but I'm here. I was standing right there, Lois, and I didn't see it because I wasn't looking, because my head was in the clouds of this is the moment my father spoke about, that I am standing here. Not afraid, not hiding, not showing my face. I'm standing here to the world. I think righting wrongs for a ghost is tying into that. I have to make this worth it, right? I have to prove that my dad was right about the time being a time that I'm going to know is coming. And then ultimately says, Superman was never real. I was kidding myself. I've lost the that moment. I had my moment. And now I'm sliding into the the, or not. And look at the the callback. I don't know if it's an explicit callback, but to to reference back to their very first conversation where he tells her about his father's death. Yep. Because my father died believing that I was sent here for a reason. This is a really fascinating kind of evolution of that very same conversation where he's saying when he was standing in front of those people, it was because that is why his father died, to give him the opportunity to make that choice. Truth. Let's have it out. I think it, it pays tribute to Jonathan Kent who, you know, Martha knew it, you know, with them watching him as a little boy, right? Is that he knew, this was used in the trailer, Yeah, is that Jonathan Kent believed that, that someday his son was going to change the world. His son was going to fulfill his purpose. And as Clark says, I've been living my life that way, doing good, believing I'm here to do good. And now when I arrive at this absolute culmination of everything my father believed was my destiny, someone uses it to hurt people. And that is, it's a joke. Well done, Lex. I mean, you you played it beautifully. You got him to a point where he would be totally relying on humanity and Earth being ready for him. And then you traumatize him worse than he's ever had in his entire life. Yeah, well, and I, oh. and I think it's it's also really fascinating that I believe even Clark misunderstood what Jonathan was saying. And actually, if you go back to their final moments, their final conversation before the tornado in Man of Steel, it's an argument kind of about the same. What he is doing is trying to live his life the way Jonathan wanted him to. But Jonathan 
never explicitly expressed a way he wanted Clark to live life other than on his own terms. And so what Jonathan didn't say was that one day you will stand before the human race as a hero. He said one day you have to decide who you are going to be. And I don't think Clark ever decided. I think that's that's why he's conflicted here is because he is trying to live a life he believes somebody else decided. But because he never got to really finish that conversation with Jonathan, he's kind of working on like the half-baked version of it where Jonathan didn't get to tell him, no, I'm not telling you you can't be this or you must be that. I'm telling you, you have to know what you are before you do any of this. And he doesn't know who he is yet. Went and tried to step into the shoes that he thought Jonathan was reserving for him or pushing him into or or saying was his job and and I think that it's really interesting here where we're talking about the he was right there and he didn't see it we also lead right into it with the news broadcast where she says Superman was in the room but obviously failed to stop him nice yeah yeah I'm like you know he heard that <laughs> yeah <laughs> right so I think you're you're right to call that out that like that ties into the the tornado scene of Jonathan saying, here are my ideas for your future and Clark having that rebellion of what if I want to do something different? That moment is interrupted. So that moment of of Jonathan holding up his hand, right, that's connected to Clark being the son and saying, I will listen to you. I will follow what you have to say. Uh, obviously, now we have confirmation that that extended to the destiny of his life, right? Like the direction of his life. And I mean, this makes sense now after the fact why Man of Steel was him just waiting, right? He's just waiting mm-hmm. for something. And I think that it helps characterize Jonathan almost like a reminder of like, you, you people really took one thing away from Man of Steel about Jonathan, and he has a lot more. The thing he said to Clark in that moment is motivated by fear and love as a father, and then scenes that followed it and dialogue followed it explained why Jonathan was torn up about that himself. You have another father. And I'll love to to get into this in way more depth one day when we get to Man of Steel by the minute. <laughs> yes, exactly. But uh, the thing that I've noticed in retrospect going back and watching that, especially now having Batman v Superman and Zack Snyder's Justice League, is the framing of of that scene, the editing of that scene is is bookended with, I can't say bookended, I guess, because I need to go double check, but it is right around there. It's all sandwiched between the scene where they're sitting on the truck and he says, maybe, and his speech to Lois about my father believed. And then you get the tornado scene and then he tells, and then he tells Perry or, or not. He tells Perry, Perry then says to Lois, do you know what people, how people would react if yeah. this is true? Jonathan doesn't have the opportunity to tell Clark the full lesson that he's trying to teach him, but the movie makes it very clear what lesson he's trying to teach him by all of the surrounding context. It just doesn't come out of Jonathan's mouth explicitly. The The way those scenes are structured, and I'm sure it's on a perfect minute-by-minute beat with the scene transitions, <laughs> just because I expect that now. It's, uh, yeah, I can't wait to get there and talk about this topic more. Yeah, it really emphasizes, like, we are talking about the second act uh, and and saying, talking about things that were in the first act that we're not talking about. But sometimes you have to take a leap of faith, right? <laughs> the trust comes later. Right. And that's what he did at the Capitol. And as I say, he has lost hope. Lois steps forward to place her hand on his chest, and we get to the end of Minute 96. Superman was never real. He was just the dream of a farmer from Kansas. There's a lot going on here between... We spoke a lot about 
it's not Clark that went to the Capitol. It is Superman. Even though he is supposed to be of both worlds, he made that stand as Superman as the world saw him. So I think that that is him saying Superman was never real, is doing some really interesting ideas about how Clark feels about himself when he's in the suit and when he is fulfilling that mission that is just really rich to consider. I would urge everyone to think about that when this scene comes along and he says that stuff. I also will call out now that when Clark says, I've been living my life the way my father saw it, that I have been seeing the world how Jonathan did. Conflicted, complicated, incredibly mixed, and that Jonathan's world was one (laughs) of uncertainty and fear And that has been obviously weighing on Clark that he said, living my life, trying to right wrongs for a ghost, trying to make the world and deal with the world the way that my father did. Goes back to why he, right? Why, why did dad never leave Kansas? He's obviously struggling with this idea of what Jonathan knew of the world. I think it shows that he is grappling with this stuff and has now come to, (laughs) well, a key step in his hero's journey as Lois places her hand on the S insignia of his suit. That is where we end minute 96. On the dot, Lois has yet to speak. That will come in minute 97, but that will have to wait until the next episode. Obviously, people can share their thoughts on what they think about my ramblings and the Washington Monument. I can say probably the largest phallus in the movie. Certainly not the only one perhaps intentionally. I would love to hear, let us know what you think about this connection between the Kryptonite Sphere and the Washington Monument, because I think that's hilarious. Uh, And you can do that on Twitter at BVS by the minute. You can support the podcast at patreon.com slash Snyder Minute. Follow everything we're doing there with BVS by the minute and Justice League by the minute and basically an entire bonus podcast of all of the random stuff that we talk about. Uh, If people want more of us rambling, then they can get it there. Either way, more is absolutely coming in Minute 97 as we discuss the movie slightly more detached from George Washington and more about Superman and and Lois. you uh, You know what George Washington's wife's name was. After leading the American Revolution, George Washington resigned his presidency. But what if he hadn't? Washington went mad with power long ago. 